Hey guys, thanks for uh, tuning in to episode three. We have a very special guest. We have our, our former coach, Coach Corey Brueggemann on. Well, we're here with our second guest, a very special guest to us, uh, head coach at Manchester University for the men's soccer team, Coach Corey Brueggemann. How are we doing today, Corey? We are doing well, thank you. It's good. So we'll start off by getting a little bit um, into your background and, and kind of getting to know you a little bit better. Um, can you kind of talk us about your path from majoring in sport management and then how it kind of transitioned into coaching a little bit? Yeah, so I went to Manchester College. I think we were the last class to graduate under the college title. And while there, I sort of navigated through many different I guess, academic studies, trying to figure out what I wanted and ended up with sport management. When I was in high school, I think I coached a little bit from the youth side. And then as I got to the collegiate ranks, when I was playing for Coach Good, he allowed me to basically take two springs off to go and coach at Columbia Springs Middle School, uh, or sorry, Indian Springs Middle School, and that's in Columbia City. And that's kind of where I started to feel like coaching could be something I wanted to do. Um, and I think both of you know, that's where I met Drake. That's where I met Brandon when they were you know, super young and I was only a sophomore and a junior in college. And so coaching started to become a really interesting idea. And as I finished, you know, my undergrad and was exploring options with the Columbus crew, um, yeah, Coach Good called me and said, hey, we're going to have an opening for the assistant position and you're allowed to come back if you wanted. So that's kind of how it ended up. And I've been there ever since, I think going on eight years now total uh, coaching at Manchester and five years as head coach. So pretty great. You've got the Arsenal jacket on and like you've been in and around soccer, like like your whole life like how did you get into soccer like what made you passionate about soccer yeah so I, I like to blame it on my brother I think that my well my father coached our kind of rec leagues growing up and you know he'll tell stories about my brother and I you know we'll go out and score 15 goals a game in a rec league like just and it's not impressive at all it's just the the area that we came up you know there wasn't a ton of high level soccer initially in the Mainville, Morrow, Ohio areas. Um, and I think as we started to get older, I was into basketball and soccer. And then I started to realize my brother was kind of taken off in the soccer ranks. He was a really high level goalkeeper. And that's when I just kind of decided, I think soccer is my focus, you know, travel soccer um, for Ohio elite became a real big passion of mine. And I wasn't even that great. Like I was still trying to grow and become a better player um, and somehow ended up getting the opportunity to play in college. And I think my love for soccer really started to develop like once I finished. I think if I think about my top playing days, I would say after college. And I think about, you know, as I fell in love with Arsenal, it was 2011, 2010, and all the way, you know, now for a decade. But yeah, soccer was always part of the picture, but I, I don't think it was the picture when I was growing up. I think that helped a little bit about it. So, through your playing career, who would you compare yourself to? Like, who would be a player comp, modern day player that you would kind of compare your style to? I struggle to understand this because what I call myself is, is different than what like Dion would call me or some of my teammates would call me because I, I texted him a couple weeks ago. And so for the viewers, listeners, Dion Radev is a Bulgarian attacker who was playing with me. And I always had an image of how he and I connected. So I texted him, I said, are you Bruno and I Pogba or am I Bruno and you're, you know, whoever he's passing the ball to. And he said, we're none of those people. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Uh, but I just, I have no idea in terms of what, what aspect, like I always loved being a pretty dynamic midfielder. So 
I love how KDB plays. I don't think I'm as good as KDB, but if I had to pick, I'd say Yaya Torre when he was motivated. I think that's what I want to get. Because towards the end of the city days, he was not not enjoying it. Um, so that that's the shortest answer I can give you on that subject. It's still still trying to figure it out. If I could find more film, then maybe I could help myself understand that. Uh, you always talked about like when we were playing with you, how you like you would give anything to go back and play, and you would you really miss playing in a lot of ways. What was your favorite moment when you that you think back to now about as a player? So like, what what you, is there one thing or maybe a, a year that you really miss or a game that you recollect? I guess. Um. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's just so difficult. I think the the biggest thing at least from my Manchester days was just the friendships that I created. And that's honestly the biggest thing that I see, you know, obviously with you two and with a lot of our returners and even some of the young alumni that we have, I just have so many stories about alumni, like some of my friends that, you know, happen on the bus or happen, you know, as we're leaving places or happen in games. And so just different things can, can kind of pop up. Um, favorite playing moment. Like I love my senior year of high school was probably one of my favorite years um, we took a really struggling program and we went undefeated for half a season. And I think I finished in the top three in the city, um, in scoring. And so that was really cool. Senior year of college, we went down to Hanover. You guys know what it's like playing at Hanover. They weren't as talented back then, but they were still the similar, you know, frustrating crowd and or people to play against. We go down 2-0, and I just remember this kid standing at the top of the bleachers, just like just screaming, you guys are blank. You don't deserve to be here. Go home. And like, I am jawing back and forth with this guy. And Coach Frizzo is just like, you know, Corey, like, focus. You're our captain. You can't be going through this. And I'm like, like, Frizzo, if you don't shut him up, like, I'm going to lose my mind. Um, and so finally, the kid is John, John, John. Uh, I think like 10 minutes left in the game get a through ball. Um, I think it was to Andrew Gray. Maybe I think I popped. I don't remember how I got it. He scored a goal. Um, and then I, as this happened, like I realized that their left back was literally the worst player I've ever seen at the collegiate level. And so I just hung out near him the last five minutes of the game. Dion got a goal, uh, took it to overtime, got a throw in. I opened up and scored back post and just ran straight to the kid and was about to shush him. And as I'm doing that, my teammate, John Lash, just wipes my legs out. And so I'm like spinning and I, I dead fish in the middle of the field and just lay there until I just couldn't move. Like I was, I was in so much pain that I was sprinting to shush this guy. Uh, and as we got up the whole, like he was gone, he disappeared. So that is one of my favorite, like definite like images that's in my head, man, just, you guys know what it's like to be at Hanover and to actually you know, go down 2-0 and come back three goals in 15 minutes. What would Coach Good have thought of the the shushing there? What do oh, you think? He would have been for it. I think he would have been for it. Uh, he's a competitor. He wants, he's certainly a very humble man. And like, he wants to have a, obviously a lot of grace about what he does, but there's a competitive side to him that I think would have been fine with that as long as it didn't go any further than just a, you know, a reminder of, you know, what we're trying to do. So you've kind of mentioned how you've played with some pretty talented people. Or is there any one person that you played with or played against that you're like, man, that's the best player that I've ever played against or stepped on the field with? Yeah. So I, man, it's crazy at, at the, at the college level at Manchester, 
I'd say Chris Rowe would definitely be the top player. And I don't even know if you guys have seen C. Rowe play at all. Um, so he was a senior when I got into Manchester and just, you know, he's two or three inches taller than me. He's so much faster than me. And he's just an incredible player. I don't know how he ended up at Manchester, um, but he's probably the, the most complete player I've seen in a really long time at our, at our level. Um, Andrew Bigelow, you guys have seen Biggs come back and play a little bit. He's now, you know, a professional referee. It's hard to see him in his prime. And I didn't even really see him in his prime besides the annual alumni games. Um, so I would say for Manchester, those are the two that I got to see quite a bit. I think Chris ended up with all region honors and I think Biggs did as well. And then played against would be, I don't remember his last name, but Rose Holman had like a six, six striker who was my age, Clint Vanderoot or something like that. Um, it's insane. Like to have, first of all, that size and then to match it with speed and power. I want to say he had like 20 to 25 goals this senior year. Um, I hands down have not seen a striker with that ability in a really long time. Now we did beat them once and uh, we did, I did mark him on every corner, um, but he was insane. Um, and I did mention that once I, so once I finished at Manchester, I went to Columbus and when I was in Columbus, I played in the men's league there. I didn't realize how insane men's leagues were until I got there. So I am in a midfield trio of a guy who got drafted by the New England Revolution and then like national champions, D division three national champs that played for Otterbein. Um, and so I'm just like, all right, this is, I, I elevated to a whole new level. Uh, Jason Griffiths is the current Otterbein head coach, but he played for Kentucky and was drafted by the Revs. And I haven't, I have not played with a player at his level in a really long time. I've trained with some of the guys at IU, kick the ball around with, you know, Mazenov or some of those guys uh, in some of the IU camps. But Jason at that level, at that age, was he's, he's insane. He's probably still a very, very high level player. Um, so you kind of talked about how you went to Columbus. Um, and from my knowledge, like, you worked for the crew for a little bit. Is that right? Like, what was your role there? It is correct. Yep. So I, Dr. Ryan Hedstrom, as you guys know, helped me to basically try and secure any internship that I could find. And I started reaching out, asking for jobs with, I think it was the Bengals, the Reds, the crew, and then some other regional areas. And the crew came back and said, hey, we're going to have this team called the Crew Action Team. And what it was is this group that is just designed to increase promotions before games. So they're mostly college kids walking around with soccer balls, you know, fake tattoos and the blow horns and t-shirts and you know, everything you can to just kind of keep the crowd engaged. And so from March of my senior year, I started driving back and forth to Columbus. I mean, there was one night where I finished class at three, game was at seven. I drove, you know, three and a half straight there, got there, ran the promotions, drove straight back. And I have never been more tired and so, you know, tired of seeing 114 in my life. Just the longest drive. And it's like six turns because you get, you know, Columbus and North Manchester is not a bad drive, but it's just really long. And so that role, crew action team sort of developed into like, hey, I need more hours. Can I, what can I do more of? And they started to give me more office work. They started to, you know, let me do some data input for surveys or, you know, fan research or, you know, demographic research of what the fans are doing, what they're buying, what they're not buying, that type of stuff. And then finally, I think they got to a point where my boss was ready to 
kind of take on bigger things. And so she transitioned me to take over the lead for that team. Um, and so I became kind of like the organizer of where people should be, you know, what they should be doing. The only reason I say I was the organizer is because I had a walkie-talkie. That was, you know, that, that's what made me the supervisor for that day. Um, but it led to some just really awesome experiences. I, I had a couple, you know, in interaction with, with high-level MLS players and alum, uh, sorry, crew alumni like Frankie Hadek. I was able to, one of my other favorite memories is I did the in-game promotions announcing for the Ohio mascot soccer game. And it, it's as weird as it sounds, it's every Ohio mascot college and uh, professional playing a soccer game. And I'm just announcing like, and Rosie Redlegs now you know, slides in for the tackle. It was just like, okay, man, you know, how did I get here? Um, but it was such a rewarding experience. And I, I want to say like at the end of my time there, it was either a seasonal job, which would have been really good. And I probably could have developed into something else or the coaching, you know, opportunity came up and I still go back and forth. You know, some days I regret not sticking with it and not staying in the crew and seeing where that would have gone. I had some friends who were in ticket sales or, or PR that one of them is now with Austin FC. Um, a couple of them, you know, went to Sporting Kansas City. And so it's, it always is in my mind, but I'm, I've been happy with the transition. When yeah. you emceed for that, was that in front of like thousands of people? Or like, like how did they get you that position there? Were, were you like not wanting to do that? Or was that something you were excited about? Yeah, so I, I, uh, <laughs> I put that I was the MC for Midnight Madness on my resume. And apparently people look at your resume. Um, I was the MC for Midnight Madness. I am comfortable public speaking. But the, the role that basically they needed was it started because I, I believe a Fox Sports correspondent or a host for Columbus Crew didn't show up to an event. We're at the freshman orientation for Ohio State, and she just doesn't show up. I'm there to shoot a t-shirt cannon. That's it. So that's my role. And my, my boss, Dan, comes up to me and says, hey, got a problem. So-and-so's not coming. I know on your resume, you were an MC for a few events in college. <laughs> he goes, do you think you're, you're ready to do this? And I'm just like, ready to do what? Like, what do you, what do you need me to do? He's like, you're going to be the, you're going to be the co uh, color commentary or co-anchor co-host with Frankie. And I'm just like, no, I'm good. Like, I'm fine with what I'm doing. And I'm like, first of all, how many people are there? Um, and I don't know what the freshman class of Ohio State is, but it was the most people I've ever seen in a gymnasium in my entire life. Uh, and yeah, I remember saying no like seven times. And then somehow a shot of tequila appeared, took a shot of tequila, got on stage with Frankie Hayduk, and that was it. Killed it. And from then, I think they started to push more and more that way. And so it actually helped because it, when I moved into that position as well, it removed someone from that and gave them, you know, obviously they were more experienced in some other roles to help the concourse or help the pregame promotions. And so I would be the one now who would take over the pregame announcing. So, you know, last chance to get your tickets, last chance to do this, you know, go, go to different places. Um, and I think the height of when I was announcing was, you know, we had like 24,000 fans at a game. And so it's kind of cool if you think about it. It's also, you know, pretty terrifying, but they, they trusted me to a certain extent and that, you know, in any job or organization or relationship to feel trusted is the greatest thing in the world to just have free reign to say, yep, we trust you. Here's a script, make sure you hit it. 
Um, and it was really cool. Absolutely, absolutely loved it. It's, it's a, such a weird development of like, I started out as just this crew action person and that doesn't even exist anymore. They've kind of changed everything. And then it went to, you know, media and relations and promotions and announcing and here I am. Yeah, so that kind of ended up, Coach Good came calling and I think you mentioned that it was a tough decision, but I think it's hard to say say no to Coach Good when he comes knocking. Um, and so kind of talk about your your time as being Coach Good's assistant and how that maybe prepared you to be the head coach you are now. Yeah, so I had always said, I don't know if I was serious, but I always said, hey, if anything comes up, just let me know. And I'd even told Frizzo that, you know, Steve had been there for over 10 years as Dave's assistant. And so they had a really strong connection. And the connection that I had with Coach Good was, was just as strong. I think um, if you guys would have gotten to know him better, he, you know, he was such a, he is such a great man and such a great coach. And one of the strongest, you know, things he leads with is his character. You know, there's nothing that he will keep from you. He'll make sure he's honest with those, you know, decisions, tough decisions that he has to make. Um, and he's always super invested. I mean, I still have, my mom still has letters from Coach Good in the summer. You know, we'll send out the generic, hey, here's moving date, here's what's going on. And then he'd handwrite in the margins, just <laughs> an entire paper. Hey, I can't wait for you to come back. I hope you and Brittany are doing well. You know, is there anything that Lois and I can do for you when you get here? Please don't hesitate. And it wasn't just me. Like every player that I know of got that handwritten letter. It was motivation. It was encouragement. It was support. And it was just, you know, to have somebody care about you that much at that stage in your life, it, it makes a difference. Um, and so when I came back as the assistant, I had an idea of where the struggles were. I had an idea of you know, some things that could be changed. And, you know, Coach Good at that time had been there for 32 years, 31 years, um, being one of the most tenured coaches, not only just in, in our conference in Division Three, but, in the, you know, in the nation. I just saw some things that I think we could try and do differently. And I remember calling a couple of alumni and just saying, hey, what are things that you would have changed? Like, if you had the chance to, what are things that you would have changed? And we started brainstorming. I talked to Chris Rowe. I, you know, I said that a little bit. I talked to, you know, a little bit about him as a player. Um, I talked to a few other young alumni and I said, what are some things that you would have wanted to change? And like you guys have friends who played collegiately elsewhere, you're always somewhat comparing or you'll find time to compare and it's, it's hard not to. And so I took a list of that and, you know, right away, the biggest thing, as I mentioned with the crew is I think they've just trusted me to, to do what needed to be, to be done. The hard part was that I didn't know what I was doing. And so, you know, as a young coach, I just tried to play as much as possible. And that is, that's probably not the best. But my biggest thing for them was if I wanted them to do something that I couldn't really teach yet because I didn't have the tools to, then I just had to show them. And I had to show them over and over, you know, if you're a defender and you need to give space, well, I'm going to go in and play as hard as I can as an attacker against you to show you why you need to back off or why you need to get closer. And through that, I started to develop better ways of, you know, teaching the technical side of things. I started to steal ideas and gain new ideas tactically and try and figure that out. And I think eventually Dave, Coach Good just was like, keep, keep going. Like, you're, you're doing great. The guys are buying into what we're doing. And, you know, one of my favorite moments was when um, we were playing Ohio Northern and in our, in the history of our program, we've never beaten Ohio Northern and that is not celebrated, but it's, it's a known fact. But Coach Good always kept them on the schedule, and I hated playing them. I just, you know, you get to a point where you get beat so many times that you're just like, 
Can we try another team? Can we try, you know, somebody similar caliber, let's just move on. And we ended up, uh, this was just me watching film. And this is kind of when I started to get confidence in my ability, but we saw that they did something with their center backs where just basically two center backs hung out and everybody else went forward and they you know, threw a lot of numbers in attack. And at this time I was like, Dave, I think we can tell Ola just to sit right here. And if, if we can win the ball and get the ball to Ola, he can get down in the box, you know, do seven scissors or seven step overs, throw a shimmy shake and either finish or get fouled. And lo and behold, that happens. We go up one zero, we park the bus, you know, do what we need to do, sit back. And I think they ended up scoring, you know, two goals late. And, you know, to me though, to even have a close game with the high Northern at that time, like just started to shape, it just changed a little bit of the mindset. And that's, when I say it out loud right now, it kills me because it's like, you know, shouldn't be celebrating a 2-1 loss against a really, really good team. But when I started to realize that, you know, we could find these little tweaks or weaknesses or tactics, then I started to get a lot more confidence in, in what we were doing. And I think Dave saw the same thing too. Um, and I don't know if he was, he was never reluctant to change, but I think I came in at a really good time to start pushing new ideas, but we struggled. I mean, we were uh, three and 14, three, 12 and three. I, we had some of our worst years in my first few years as an assistant coach. And it was, it was pretty hard. How did you manage to like keep the faith, I guess, that your uh, techniques and like the coaching staff's techniques was what you wanted to, was like uh, what you wanted to accomplish and not um, going down the wrong path. And like, how did you continue to develop as a coach, do you think? Uh, yeah, as you guys know, when you're not producing results, it's hard to keep confidence. It's hard to keep faith. And, and similar to, very similar to your freshman year where we had a pretty big talented class. I mean, that was my first goal as an assistant was to, and I will still say it, my goal every year is to out recruit our current players. You know, I wanna make sure that they feel our backing, that we are invested in them, but they have to continue their level of progress so that when I bring in a first year, that first year is going to be that, like a first year. If they're talented, then they're talented. If they're, you know, super fit and can play, great. But your progress each year should be able to, to trump most of those most times. And my first year as an assistant coach, I don't, I don't remember who told me. I think it might have been the assistant baseball coach. Where he just says every year, my job is to find a better you. Like, that's it. And so I got that, you know, my first year as an assistant coach, I think we brought in around 1520-ish. Um, and so they, you know, initially the mix was hard because I think we had a just a different culture. We had a lot of guys who struggled to want to compete. We had a lot of players who didn't like bringing recruits on campus because those recruits were direct threats. We just had a, a hard time. And when you're not winning, right, that adds to just a ton of frustration. And hard part for me was, and a hard part for any assistant coach, is the assistants are usually closer. They're more on that ground level of the communication flow how players are actually feeling, you know, all these things that head coaches miss. And even now, like there are some things that coach Brooks is more privy to than I know. And I think that's how most relationships with coaching works. But as the assistant coach in that time, I started just to hear like, you know, Hey, this coach could even retire is, you know, can you change this? Can you do this? And, and what the guys didn't know is that a, a lot of, a lot of those decisions were being made together you know, a lot of the blame, Dave would take it. But 
he would give me free reign to say, hey, yeah, let's try this formation. Let's try this tactic. Let's try this training session. And I think the hardest part was we just, we just had a really difficult time getting a handle on the culture. We had so many different backgrounds, so many different character problems that we just, we couldn't solve it. And we struggled to solve it. And I think one of the best quotes I have read recently was to fire quickly and hire slowly. Um, so if you have somebody in your culture who is just a absolute disruption and you know it's a disruption to remove them quickly. And you guys both know that I've, I have struggled to do that. And that is you know, part of all of the goodness I saw in Dave is we would hold on to people, even when I was a player, we would hold on to people on the team that character wise shouldn't have been there. And eventually that became detrimental to our success, whether it was in training, whether it was off the field, whatever. And I'm still under the belief that those players will run their own course, but they still can have a major impact on what happens in the team dynamic. So to wrap it up, I, you know, I loved, I loved, I loved working with Coach Good. Absolutely. I wouldn't be here without his trust, his guidance, you know, learning from him. Um, but I still think there were a lot of things that I could have done better as an assistant coach. Yeah, and to speak to the culture, I think that's something that we focus on a lot during our four years with you. And, and I think that's something that you definitely took emphasis on as, as you became the head coach there. Um, I think that's an often overlooked piece. I think a lot of times it's, it's just looked at skill, but it, it does matter the culture. And I think that you've done a good job of establishing kind of the culture that you want there. Um, so why, why do you enjoy coaching? What, what does coaching do for you? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's such a, the best way to describe it, there are very few professions, <laughs> there are very few professions that I'm aware of that one day you can just have the absolute highest high and within 12 hours or even two minutes have the absolute lowest low. You know, I go back to, I go back to playing Hope at Hope, getting absolutely just embarrassed and then going to Calvin and playing well for 30 minutes and having just the lowest feeling of my life returning home. I go to losing to defiance at home to then beating Rose Holman at home. Like I can't explain the roller coaster of that coaching takes you through. And you guys know as players, it can happen. What coaching does for me though, is it gives me, the platform that I've always wanted to make an impact with a, with a group, whether, whether that's, you know, student athletes, whether that is, uh, you know, certain educational areas, I've always felt that I would want to be involved somehow with kids, whether that is at the college level, at the youth level, um, or younger. And I want to try and, and be some sort of an impact for them because I had a few coaches that did the opposite for me when I was growing up. Um, so I don't, there's no like general philosophy why I got into coaching or what it really does for me, but you know, I, I use server as an example. People ask me what are some of my favorite memories of coaching? Like I go back to beating Transy and the idea of beating Transy was actually much, it's so much better than when we actually beat Transy, right? Cause you achieve what you want to achieve. And then it's just like, all right, what, what now, you know, you start to think about that. But watching Cerber be, you know, in this position he was for the last few years um, and then just come alive and 
score a few goals at the end of last year after, you know, not being ready and then being ready. You know, I, we're at Anderson. Gonzo suffers with his knee injury. Um, server gets in and scores a goal and comes over and just gives me a huge hug. Like that to me means so much more than beating Transylvania. That to me means so much more than, than any victory. And there are thousands of those. Like Noah, I, I remember so many times you being frustrated and Ruben, you too. But no, I remember, you know, <laughs> a, a not so great incident at uh, during a Transylvania game. And you come off the field and I go, what happened? You're like, I have no idea. <laughs> that, that comment to me, like just being able to share that experience with you guys, like there's no other replacement for that. There are very few professions that give you the true honest relationship and the true understanding of consequences. You know, the, your actions have consequences and all these things. And at the end of the day, all we can do is prepare. And while we were prepared in a ton of those situations for success, we did find success. You know, root your ball out of bounds at Huntington or whatever happened. I mean, there are so many scenarios that I forget results, I forget, you know, passages of play, but just the interactions that I've had with players or that I've had with referees or other coaches, like those things are the, I guess, the reasons why I'm still coaching and why I still enjoy it. There are ongoing relationships that, if I could tell you anything that I learned from Dave, is that. He still gets phone calls on his birthday from players from the 80s. Like, if I could ever have a phone call on my birthday, it would be fantastic. And sometimes I do. Drake will text me every once in a while. But the relationships that he instilled then, those are still part of the culture that I want to make sure that Manchester soccer continues to grow. And Noah, if you and I, you know, you and I have had frustration, you and I have had frustration, but both of you were at a point where you were able to communicate with our staff exactly what you're feeling, why you're feeling it, and then either we try and help solve it or you may, you know, you're still frustrated a little bit, but at least we tried to create some basis of communication to have that transparency. But without a relationship or relationships, you can't do that. So I think for the long answer, Malero sized answer, relationships, 100%, final answer. I'm, I'm glad the two memories you remember of us are uh, conceding crucial goals. So that's, that's good. Noah scored some pretty ridiculous goals in his career in training. And in <laughs> training. Fantastic. we had, you both had some very fantastic near goals in your career. Yes. And Ruth, the other main memory that I have for you is your block against Transylvania in like the third minute that allowed us to win that game. So yes, like, there are many good memories, but I've picked the the hard ones, right? Those are the ones where you have to have that trust, that basis for a relationship. Like, no, I will never forget your face coming out of that game. And I'm just like, what happened here? Uh, oh. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'll allow it. Like, you know, two years before that, I'd be like screaming your head off. But yeah. no, if you don't know, then there's no way that I could be tremendously upset with that. You, you earn the right to be in that position everything we were prepared for and here we go same with roots clearances same with you know the red cards at wisconsin whitewater all these different things that are running through my mind well and forget goals too we were always more about the tackles that we had anyway so we yes. just, that's more we cared about anyway. your tackle at illinois college still <laughs> i hear it every night and then i hear the you know the coach screaming at me and i'm just like big <laughs> tackle so well, and yeah. you talked about relationships and like, to me, nothing embodied like a great relationship with the team and coaching staff and everything than like the Jamaica trips. 
or a different study abroad trips I, you know, could have gone on. <clears throat> so what did the Jamaica trip mean for you? I know you went as a player and then you've gone as a coach like multiple times, I believe. So what did that embody for you? Yeah, it's um, obviously part of the Manchester mission to serve. And I guess I didn't really understand before I had gone when I was a student. Um, as Coach Good started to explain, hey, we're going to take this trip to Jamaica, you know, you start to think like, all right, like beach, sand, sand, you know, soccer, hot weather, like it's just going to be really, really nice. And it was really nice, but it was not the, you know, the luxury that you're thinking about. And, you know, there's no better way to bond than to struggle through, you know, getting together and doing these things together. So, Coach Good had developed a ton of strong connections in uh, the Jamaican community all over the island, partly due to his brother Ron having lived there for quite a while. And so we went, uh, I went my sophomore year, I think, in college. And yeah, one of the greatest times of my life. Like from being woken up at five o'clock to a guy singing to his crops and then me screaming like, shut up because I thought it was somebody in the other door <laughs> to going to breakfast and Lois is like who was yelling profanities at uh I don't remember what his name was whatever his name was and I'm just like yeah, you know, like I thought it was you know John singing from the other dorm and uh you know one of my friends Joe has difficulty you know he needs to use the restroom you have to leave pretty quickly so we were driving up the, the blue mountains or whatever and you guys, I don't know if we even took the trip to the coffee house, did we? No. Okay. So Blue Mountain Coffee is like, you drive just up constantly for, as you know, a, a 20 minute trip in Jamaica is really a five hour trip. In so driving upwards, well, A, we had to stop and let him out to use the restroom. He finds this little side restroom. We didn't know this, but he's terrified of just farm animals. So there's like... 30 chickens just chasing him to this bathroom, you know, back and forth. Okay, so that's not even the worst part. We continue our drive. And as we, I believe we're like going around a turn, I'm in the back corner of the, the car and I see a wheel just spin past us. As soon as I see that, I like, our car drops like this. And there's no guardrails on these mountains. And so this wheel flies up, our car starts skidding. We are the third of three vans, so we're in the back. We didn't have cell phones at the time. So the other two continue up to the mountain, and we're just sitting there. Luckily, we didn't fall off the mountain. We just kind of stopped there. The guy tried to, you know, make the tire work, but some of those experiences, having to go through that together, I mean, it just, it bonds you. Being able to, you know, live together for how many days, 20-ish days, 15, 16, it just makes you get frustrated with each other. It makes you learn things about each other. You know, those shared experience are, are why I've always encouraged studying abroad. So as a player, I loved it. You know, we also, we slept through the hur or the earthquake in Haiti. It was a hur uh, the hurricane, I believe. We slept, no, it was earthquake, wasn't it? Yeah, I slept through the er earthquake in Haiti and I'm yelling at Grant, who's sleeping on a concrete bed next to me. And I'm yelling at him to stop shaking my bed which is made of concrete and it can't move. And we both just fall back asleep, wake up the next morning and see that, you know, we'd felt the aftershock. So yes, as a player, one of my favorite experiences of all time.
uh, when I went back as an assistant coach, uh, it was tough, right? You're, I was put in such an odd spot to make sure the guys were making good decisions and make sure they're having a good time, learning what they need to learn, doing what they need to do. And then also make sure Dave and Lois were comfortable, you know, with, with what is happening. And you guys know in Jamaica, it's, it's an amazing experience, but if you want to find trouble, you could probably go find trouble. And so it was weird for me as an assistant, um, definitely probably didn't handle a few things as well as I should have in terms of just communication with the guys, my expectations, their expectations. And that, at that time I was like still 23, 22. Um, so it was difficult, you know, trying to navigate that, but Went back as a head coach. I think you guys had a good time. You know, I still feel bad about it because it wasn't our trip, right? It wasn't my trip. And that's where I feel bad because I wasn't able to communicate clearly with, you know, what we're doing, why we're doing certain things, how it's changing. Um, but I'm so thankful that Dave got to show you guys that, you know, I've had a couple alumni text me and say, hey, do you know where that waterfall is? Hey, do you know where this is? And I'm just like, I can find out. But those are things that you guys hopefully we'll be able to share with you know people you love for the rest of your life or go experience it again because the trip that you got was probably about 75% of, of what I got um, you know there's still another part that I think as the transition from me to coach good happened you didn't get the full authentic Jamaica experience which made you work for like 15 days straight in smoldering heat and doing cement work and you know the stuff that these guys on the previous trip got to do and then our trip got to do as well so right now, I don't know what the plan is. I know that the culture in the deaf community has changed a lot. So I don't think there are as many opportunities to go back, but definitely, definitely want to go back. I'm pretty sure there's a couple of uh, guys on our team that would not have uh, handled the 15 days of work very well, considering the amount of complaining that happened just when we were painting. So yes, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting to like, and that's, that's a whole different topic with I'm not much older than you guys, and you know that, but the generational gaps are just super funny to watch. And the same goes for recruiting. Like, I can't get a kid to call me, but if I text them or like something on Twitter, you know, they'll start a conversation. And so it's just, yeah, a unique dynamic that has developed, and we can talk about that another time. Although you did leave me a pretty good uh, message after you went to recruit me. Do you remember what you said? I, I pick up a message from Coach Corey, and it says, hey, it's great to see you. You're a lot better than I thought you were. What does that mean? Did you think that I was going to be terrible or just? <laughs> was kind of, yeah, I saw I had seen you and I'd seen you and Nash, I think, at the state quarterfinals or semis or sectionals or semis. We played. Semis. Um, yeah, and I just I guess for you, I just pictured a just pretty athletic guy that was just out there kicking the ball around and it looked like you were know what you were doing um and then I got recruited I started recruiting Noah because he was playing with a friend of mine's brother I believe um yeah yeah, kind of, yeah. well yeah. I think I scheduled a visit too and then mm -hmm. I like canceled it or something and you're like hey you probably like hey you should actually come and visit I was like okay I was. <laughs> um and Noah came for at least one of the futsals one of the futsal uh, events that we had, I believe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, sorry, I ripped my bad. Like just, you know, I, think I try, I try and be honest and also sarcastic and or witty sometimes and it, I just fail a lot. Now, so. now that I know you, it makes a hundred percent sense. Yeah, hopefully. 
yeah, without, again, without a relationship, that would make no sense to most people. So yeah, glad, glad, glad you somehow ended up in Manchester because I remember hearing from like Coach Lawson that you were going there and I'm just like, all right, you know, sounds good. We'll make it work. Todd and Andy did a good job of recruiting me. So those, that is, yes, we have had some really good hosts, Todd, Andy. Um, yeah, I think Todd, Andy, and Travis got stuck in the elevator with Nash. And yeah. I was, I remember getting a FaceTime from Andy and being like, all right, you know, Andy, like there's some lines that we need to put, draw right here. And I declined it. And then he called me again. He's like, no coach, like seriously. And he said, hey, we're stuck in the elevator with Nash. <laughs> it's like, guys, you shouldn't be in the elevator, first of all. Uh, granted, you know, their stairs are an elevator. He's like, well, what do we do? And I'm like, well, I'll call maintenance. And by the time that Colin Singer had gotten there, he had gotten them out and maintenance wasn't even close to coming over yet. So yeah, we had some good hosts. The Bakers, Bakers killed it. They did. So I think maybe to kind of wrap things up before you have to get going, we'll uh, end with some rapid fire questions. How's that sound? Let's do it. How much time do I have to answer? Just make One it second. no designated time. All right. Favorite app? Wait, hold on. Let me get my mind right. Okay, I'm ready. Favorite athlete of all time? Vince Carter. Favorite memory of that athlete? The 2000 dunk contest, the 2000 dunk over French center at the Olympics. And yeah, that's probably it. Uh, favorite current Arsenal player? Oh man, that's tough. Sokka, he's killed it. Yeah, Sokka's just just seeing a young guy just step up and just absolutely outplay himself is insane to see him right now. Messi uh, or Ronaldo? Oh yeah. Um, yeah, Ronaldo. Mm. Yeah, I know I should say Messi, but Ronaldo is just insane. Get, they're both insane. We are privileged to watch both of them. Ronaldo is physically on a different level. Would you rather have a game-winning three or a dunk? Since I've already had one of those, I'd rather have the dunk. Who's your coaching inspiration? Who do you look up to as a coach? Um, tactically, probably Pep. You know, always trying to learn as much as I can from him. Um, Character-wise, you know, I've, I've read a lot recently about uh, Phil Jackson and some of the stuff that he had done with the Lakers and with the Bulls. Popovich is still, you know, a really big inspiration, so... Yeah, it's hard to find the character side of things. Arsene Wenger has always been a, a really big inspiration as well from his invincible days to the end of his Arsenal career. Uh, if you could go to any sporting event in all time, like ever, which one would you want to go to? So I remember driving to the YMCA in eighth grade uh, to play an indoor soccer game and crying my eyes out because Xavier was losing to Duke in the Elite Eight with when they had like JJ Redick, Luol Deng. Um, I would love to be there for that game because I know that if I was there, we would have won. Um, so 2004, Elite Eight, Xavier versus Duke basketball game or the 2006 Champions League final, which Arsenal lost to Barcelona. I wasn't an Arsenal fan yet, but I'm convinced that if I was there, they probably would have lost still, but it would have been fun. So if Messi joins our team from our senior year, how far do we go in the national tournament? If, or do we make it? <laughs> we make it, yep. Oh. I was, I'd say Elite Eight. I'd say eventually we'd meet some team that just, just 
breaks his Achilles and he's out. Like I hate saying it, but you know, you we we all face those teams eventually. And if he's if he's you know surviving La Liga, Division Three soccer, man, that's a different world. The referees <laughs> as well. You just never know what you're gonna get. I picture just like the whole back line, just man marking him across the whole back, like the whole field, just putting five on him or something. Yeah, like that. I I mean that's a, you know I've always thought about that. If we could just have, you know, one player, can one player win a game? Maybe Messi can, you know, it's Messi is not just one player. He's like 11 and one, but yeah, yeah. no, it's uh, it's interesting. What do you think? Turn it back on you. So this is a question that we have a longstanding debate with Alex um, about, and I, I think we win the whole thing. I think, you know, even with the attention that he draws, maybe somebody else can get freed up or something like that. But I, I mean, it's messy. I think you have to. There's been people saying that we wouldn't even like get to the, like tournament or like, like and over. I, I think I think your junior year team, I would put I'd put as a national champion. All right. No disrespect to your senior year team, <laughs> but I think the junior year team, I'd give a little bit a little bit more. All right. Sammy baby, Sammy just Sammy and Messi just link it up all over the field, <laughs> making dreams happen. Oh, yeah, celebrations everywhere. Oh my gosh. Who was I talking? I was talking about that with somebody. I think one of our freshmen was, was like, coach, what, what's your favorite celebration? What are you going to do? Can we do a training session about celebrations? I was like, all right, let me call Sammy. You know, we had a whole team celebration against Erlum. Oh man, that is one of the, that is one, actually that is one of my favorite memories. And honestly, circle impact, baby, the relationships. Without Sammy's relationship with so many guys on the team to do whatever celebration, the little at the end of Earlham, like, yeah, that is, and somebody, I think Deb caught it on picture. Oh my gosh, it's one of my favorite pictures of all time. It's so funny. Okay, sorry, keep going. Uh, if you could have yeah, dinner yeah. with one athlete, who would it be? Oh yeah, this one was, this is weird. I'd love to have dinner with Xavi, the Spanish centerman who's now a, I think he's in like a Saudi team. Um, yeah, I think I'd just love to have – he always seems super happy, super easygoing, and I think I have great vision, but that dude sees everything, knows everything, having played under Pep, having played with Pep, having played – yeah, I would just love to have dinner with him. I thought about other people, but no, I think he would be a pretty fun guest. Yeah, I think that would be a good one. Well, I think those are all the uh, important questions we had for you. We appreciate your time. Thanks for hopping on. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Best of luck as the season starts. Thank you. Hey, guys. Hope you enjoyed our episode and our conversation with Coach Corey. Um, tune in next Wednesday for a new release. Thank you. Thank you.